This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. For those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron, and um, this is really interesting because as Joel mentioned, we're walking through this portion of Scripture that is actually a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that he founded in the city of Philippi, which is a city in northeastern Greece. And um, founding pastors have a very special relationship with the churches that they founded. And there's something in there for me that's just rich, because this is the only church I've ever founded in my life. And so uh, I, I just have a relationship with the people of this church, I guess that's unlike any other that I've ever had. And so, uh, so much of this letter is exactly what I would want to write to you if I had that opportunity. And so, to dig into this thing today, it's going to be fun. Now, the idea of overflow is a theme that keeps recurring in this book. And Not everything that overflows in this book would be intuitive to us. So I need to tell you, as Paul writes this book, and we'll get to it, what I think is the apex of this entire book, the high point of this entire book. We're going to get to that in our scripture this morning. But the unusual thing about it is it's it's about the subject of joy, and the guy who's writing it is in prison. Wow, that's kind of a head-scratcher, isn't it? And actually what he's writing is out of the overflow of his joy. And so as we, as we jump into this, this subject of joy, I straight up borrowed a, a title from C.S. Lewis as he wrote his own autobiography about his discovery of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And the title of his autobiography is Surprised by Joy. And in order to understand why there's a surprise in the subject of joy, I want us to look at a picture of maybe one of the most iconic trees in our country. It's on the 17-mile drive that rims the, the Monterey Peninsula, and it's been accurately called the Lone Cypress. And, and as you look at that picture, we're going to come back to it later in our teaching, but as you look at that picture, I want it to convey to us a couple of really important truths. Number one, if you and I were going to go look for a fully grown, thriving cypress tree likely we would not look on the top of a bare rock. No. And yet, there it is. Now the correlation to us is this, that joy is often not found in the paths that we go looking for it on. And that's important for us to understand the intuitive things that we think will bring us joy, 
rarely, if ever, do. Joy is found where we might look for it, and that's what makes Jesus such an, a, a blessing to us, because he points us to the path of joy. There's a second truth that you and I know by looking at this picture. We know that somewhere down underneath the surface, beyond what you and I can see, there has to be a source of water, right? Because all the water you see in that picture would actually kill that tree because it's all salt water. And yet, in spite of the salt water spray, in spite of the fact that it sits on a bare rock, somewhere down in the middle of that rock, there is a river, a spring, a reservoir that catches fresh water. And apart from that, that tree would die. Now, if the tree represents joy in your life and mine, might it be a good idea for us to understand what the water is supposed to be? Because apart from the water, the tree will die. So with that sort of a backdrop, let's jump in and begin reading this passage of Scripture that's ours to consider today. Paul says, Dear friends, I love you and I long to see you. Please keep on being faithful to the Lord. You are my pride and my what? Oh my goodness, there it is. Now I want you to notice the great relationship Paul has with this church that he founded. Dear friends, he calls them. You are my pride. There's something about you that when I think of you, I get all warm and fuzzy on the inside. And somehow, you are connected to my joy. Just write this down if you're taking notes or put it in your head, okay? Lasting joy is never individual joy. It's always shared. And if you want the best joy this world can offer you, you will find it in relationship with other people. That's how, that's how it happens. Now, let's see what else he has to say. Euodia and Syndicate. Very few people have called their daughters those names, although those were two women in the church, okay? You belong to the Lord, so I beg you, stop arguing with each other. Oh, time out. Paul loves this church. Here's a good opportunity for us to learn something about church. If you're looking for the perfect church, you will not find it till you get to heaven. Because as long as you live on this earth, the church will be filled with people, and where people are, it's messy. Got it? Is it ever messy in your family? Shake your head like this. Yes. Is it ever messy in your marriage? 
If you've been married for more than five minutes, you know the answer to that. Is it ever messy raising children? Yes. Is it ever messy in a small group? Yes. Is it ever messy at work? Yes. Wherever you go, if there's people, it's messy. And even if there aren't people, you're there and it's messy. Yeah. Bless this mess. In this church, these two ladies have had a falling out. And they are at each other. And you know what? I'm guessing that when they went to church and they saw each other, their joy level wasn't very high. What do you think? No. No. That's hugely important for us to understand. Now he goes on to say, he says, and my true partner, and this obviously is a reference to a leader in the church that Paul knew well. He says to them, I ask you to help them, not correct them, not fix them, but what? Help them. These women have worked together with me and with Clement and with others in spreading the good news. Think about this for a minute. These women are in a dark space, but this is not usual and normal for them. Do you ever get in a dark space? Yeah, you do. You ever get things out of whack? Yeah, you do. Wouldn't it be nice when you and I got stuff out of whack if people didn't look at us and assume that's how we always were? Yeah. This is how we can have grace for each other. In these three great statements that you're going to hear often connected with our church because they are the heartbeat of our church. The middle statement is this, we're all in process. That's so important. When you look at me, you will see things in my life that you'll go, hmm? And when you do, I pray that you look at the rest of my life and you realize that while God is transforming this part of my life, this part of my life is not yet transformed. That's where Euodia and Syndicate were. And notice what Paul says. Not only have they worked hard in spreading the good news, their names are now written where? In the book of life. Are they okay? Yeah, yeah they're okay. But right now they don't feel okay. And some might think Paul is about ready to change the subject. But actually, he's setting the scene for the subject that he wants to talk about. The very next verse reads like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What's the smaller word in rejoice? It's joy, isn't it? This is Paul the grizzled veteran who has survived three shipwrecks who has bobbed around on the ocean like a cork in the water for a day and a half waiting for someone to rescue him. This is Paul, who five times has been beaten publicly with a leather whip as a, as, as, as a means of persecution. Three times he was beaten with rods, which means he left 
and his back was completely black and blue. This is Paul, who has been in prison more than once. This is Paul, who in their own town, Philippi, was almost pulled limb from limb by an angry crowd, and and he ended up put in jail, and he ended up, that was one of those times where his back was whipped and bloodied and beaten. This was Paul, who recently, in the city of Jerusalem, was literally almost pulled limb from limb again. This is Paul, who one time an angry crowd gathered around him and started throwing big rocks at him. And when they had crushed his skull, they left him for dead. And God healed him and raised him up. And as Paul wrote about it later, he said, I don't even know if I was dead or alive. This is Paul, who along the way has managed to plant at least 13 different churches that we know of, and others it's inferred that he founded. This is Paul the grizzled veteran writing from prison. And he's saying, as I look back across my life, there is a recurring theme in spite of all that adversity, in spite of all that challenge. This is Paul saying, rejoice. Let your joy overflow. And I want to say it again, rejoice. And then he follows that with some really keen insights. Let's take a look at what he has to say. Always be gentle with others. You know what I've noticed in my life? When I'm gentle, I set the table for joy. And when I'm the opposite of gentle, when I'm aggressive, when I'm demanding, when I'm, when I'm rough, when I'm blunt, when I'm anything other than gentle, joy usually is not happening there. Have you noticed? Yeah, there's such a connection between the spirit of gentleness and the ability to experience joy. He says another thing that helps bring this into perspective. He says, listen, the Lord will soon be here. You know what I've noticed? When I remember that life is short... And when I remember that there's a life beyond this life, and when I remember that Jesus is coming at some point to set everything right, I don't need to get so amped up about what isn't right today. But when I forget that, and I think, I have to fix it today, or some leader in charge needs to fix this today, or my wife needs to fix this today, or the pastor of our church needs to fix this today, I can get amped up and I lose perspective. And when I do, it almost always takes me to a dark space of frustration. And so Paul says, hey, remember, it's not always going to be like this. The Lord is coming soon. And then 
he launches into one of the more famous passages in Scripture. Here it is. Don't worry about anything. Would you read that out loud with me, please? Ready? Don't worry about anything. Good. There's your teaching. Go home. Have you ever noticed how hard that is? I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. And the more I say that, what happens? The more worried I get. Yeah. Because it's hard not to worry. So one of my favorite pastimes is golf. And here's something I know about golfers. If you want to see a golfer's knees knock, just put a pond between them and the green. Because what happens in a golfer's mind is, I'm not going to hit it in the water. I'm not going to hit it in the water. Sure enough, I hit it right there. But occasionally, there are golfers who understand that if I just hit my usual normal shot and I just hit it on the green, the pond never comes into play. It's a different mental focus. This is what Paul is giving us. He says, now listen, don't worry about anything because if you do, you're not going to have any joy. Because here's the truth about joy. It's impossible to experience joy when you feel threatened. You know that to be true, right? Yeah. Any sense of threat and joy goes out the window. This is California. If the building starts to shake and it's a massive earthquake, none of you are going to want Justin to jump up on the stage and begin just singing, the joy of the Lord is my strength. We go, you're an idiot. <laughs> you got to go run for cover, man. Yeah. When the earthquake is over, we'll sing. Because there's no joy in the middle of threat. So what do we do with threat? Paul says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Would you say those three words? Pray about everything. What would happen if worry became our prayer trigger? And you know, in your house, when the temperature starts to dip, the thermostat says, "Uh uh-oh, it's getting cold, time to kick on the furnace. What would happen in your heart and in your spirit if every time worry began to creep in, your internal spiritual thermometer or thermostat said, it's time to kick in prayer? And it just became a prayer trigger. Well, he goes on to unfold what might happen. He goes on to say, pray about everything with thankful hearts. Offer up your prayers and request to God. Here's a cool thing about gratitude. Gratitude has a way of taking our minds off of the uncertainty of the future 
and on to the blessings of the present. And when that happens, we tend to worry less. And we tend to have more joy. And when we choose to do that, when we choose to pray, and when we choose to put our attention on what we're grateful for, Paul says, there's this amazing thing that happens. Take a look at it. He goes, then, because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you. This is a gift. God will give you this peace that no one can completely understand. Now, now, focus with me for a minute. This is something you cannot give yourself. You can't manufacture it. You can't make it. You can't fake it till you make it. God will give you a peace that's so superhuman that not only can you not make it when you get it, you can't fully understand it. It's that big. It's that beyond you. I can I won't tell you the stories this morning, but there have been numerous times in my life when God did that very thing in my life. And it rescued me from a dark place that was overwhelming me. And literally, in a matter of moments, revolutionized my life. Beyond understanding, beyond explaining it's just the gift that God gives. And then Paul wraps up this section by saying this. This peace will control the way you think and feel. And he points us to what this peace will actually enable us to think about. Finally, my friends, fill your minds with whatever is true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. It's really easy to look at that and go, amen, right? That looks like an awesome list. And then he ends up by saying, don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. Now, that's the passage. Let's jump in and actually focus on what it teaches us in terms of, of really powerful principles. And here's the first one. Whatever we fill our minds with determines the status of our spirit. If, if you were taking notes and you actually had this passage printed out, I would tell you, circle the three words, fill your minds. Because you don't realize it, neither do I, but every day we are filling our minds with something. And I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty. I just want to give you an insight. I can't tell you how many people have come to my office and they are distraught and they're discouraged and they're amped up and they're frustrated and they're losing hope and, and, and life is going to hell in a handbasket and they're a mess. You know what I asked them? What do you watch on TV? You know what their answer is? The news. Think about it for a minute. 
I don't want you to go through life totally ignorant of what's happening in the world, but run the evening news through, let's go back one screen, run the evening news through, through this passage, okay? Think about whatever is true. Is the evening news true? Well, maybe, okay? I'll just leave it at that, all right? Is the evening news pure? Well, it's pure something, but probably not pure in what Paul was talking about. Is the evening news right? Most of the things on there, people are not doing what's right. Is the evening news holy? No, it's holy terrible, okay? Is the evening news friendly? No, not usually. It's all about hostilities. Is the evening news proper? I don't think it's really proper behavior. And then he says, is it worthwhile? Hmm, maybe, probably not. Is it worthy of praise? Definitely not that. Look, you've got to be careful what you fill your mind with. And I know I just picked on the evening news, but there's lots of other things. Because the truth is, whatever you fill your mind with determines the status of your spirit. Man, fill it with good stuff. Here's this entire teaching in a nutshell, okay? Take a look at the next screen. The seeds of joy grow in the soil of peace. Would you read that out loud with me, please? The seeds of joy grow in the soil of peace, okay? Let's go back to that picture we looked at at the very beginning. This flourishing tree Paul is saying to us, if the tree represents the joy in our life, the water underneath that tree that continually nourishes and feeds it, that water is peace. Because you don't ever find joy where you don't find peace. They come together. They feed off of each other. And in this passage, Paul talks about two different kinds of peace that are really important for us to have if we're going to experience this joy that overflows. And the first is relational peace. And he talks about two different kinds of relationships. And the first is the relationship we have with Jesus. And Paul says, you belong to the Lord. Now you have a spirit that has been given to you by God, and someday that spirit will return to God. And intuitively, all of us know that there's some form of accounting for what we've done with that spirit. So how do I make sure that when my spirit returns to God, I'm going to be okay? You know how most of us intuitively work on that? It's called the better than most theory. If I can just be better than most people, I think God will be okay with me. Now that's based on an assumption that God grades on the curve and I want to be on the top part of the curve. But is God really great on a curve? If we learn anything from the teaching of Jesus, 
It's that God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades on a Savior. And if I want to pass this course of life, the only way I can pass it is to take my brokenness to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you be my Savior? And would you forgive me of my sins? And would you accept me into your eternal home? And friends, if we haven't made that peace with God, it's pretty hard to be filled with joy. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, that's where it has to begin. That's the most important relationship in life. But then secondly, we have to have relational peace with each other. What was it that Paul said to Euodia and Syntyche? Stop arguing with each other. There's this personal peace. And if I'm combative and I'm creating conflict and I'm upset with people in my world and I'm complaining and I'm badgering and I'm way more like a porcupine than a teddy bear, life's not going to be fun. It just won't be. But if I learn to make peace and to build peace, not allow myself to be abused, that's a subject for another day. But if I learn how to build and make real peace, then you know what? This is the water that flows under the tree of my joy. So that's relational peace. Paul also talks about situational peace. Okay? Many of the things that come into your life and mine, we don't actually get to choose. They just come. You didn't get to choose your kids? They came. You didn't get to choose their personalities? They got them. What's even worse is they didn't get to choose them either, right? They were born with them. So much of what comes into our world we have no control over, but we do have control over what we do with it. And Paul says, don't worry about anything. What was his three-word solution? Pray about everything. I've noticed in my life that I am well capable of doing what I call, when it comes to prayer, token and hoping. You know what I mean by that? I throw up a token prayer and I'm hoping it works. I'm just token and hoping. How often do you think it actually gives me peace? Nah, it doesn't. But there's this trusting and resting prayer. Friday, I went to pick up my new recliner. I'm getting prepared for retirement. Can you tell? <laughs> I brought it home. I put it together. And yesterday, I dug a hole. I built some concrete forms. I hand-mixed uh, 400 pounds of concrete. And I poured a slab. And I finished it on my hands and knees. And I was beat when I got done with it. But you know what I did? 
I went in my house, I cleaned up, and I couldn't wait to sit in my new recliner. Because I was not token and hoping then. I was trusting and resting. And when I sat down, I said to Monica, oh, this feels good. You know what? When we learn how to pray, trusting God, and when we learn how to pray in faith, and when we learn how to pray to God with gratitude, we'll start to feel like that in God's presence. And we'll be trusting. And we'll be resting. I want to close with a couple of comments. And they are really this sermon in a nutshell. The first is this. If you're looking for joy, don't try building joy. Try building peace. Because wherever you build peace, you create the foundation for joy. Because, I want you to read it with me again. Look at the second statement. The seeds of joy grow in the soil of peace. So if you're looking for joy, build peace. My prayer is that whoever came here today brokenhearted, whoever came here today discouraged, whoever came here today with a cloud of uncertainty hanging over you, that you will encounter Jesus in such a way that you leave lighter than when you came. My prayer also is, if you've never made peace with God by choosing Jesus as your Savior, that you'll do that today. So that you can begin to build the foundation of peace in your life that will enable you to grow the tree of joy. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for teaching us this great relationship between peace and joy. Thank you for teaching us that there are things that we can do in our life like praying, like being gentle, like remembering that Jesus is coming, like building intentional, uh, personal relationships and solving the relationships that are troubled in our lives and by making peace with you, that there are all these things that we can do that actually enable us to begin to experience joy. Would you help us to courageously take at least a step this morning to increase our joy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.